Welcome to the Passionate Photographer Podcast with Steve Simon and Steve Attard. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a brand new edition of the Passionate Photographer Podcast. Uh, my name is Steve Simon. And who's that guy on the other end of the line? And I'm the other Steve, Steve Attard. Hi, Steve, and hi, everybody. Great to be here. Great to be here, too, as always, to talk about one of our favorite subjects in life, photography. And, uh, you know, I've been doing this a long time, Steve. I know you have, too. I know you have a genealogy of photography in your blood from your dad and your grandfather. And I thought, you know, this this new segment uh, caught my, my eye. And that was um, these new 3D airport scanners that... Um, are are so strong. I mean, they're stronger than back in the day of film when, when you and I were using film, where you know it was always kind of stressful. To I mean, you know, traveling, you know, air travel is stressful enough. But when you're a film photographer, especially when you're on an assignment with lots of film with you, knowing that the X-rays can damage the film, you know, that was pretty stressful. And uh, you know, there's a new generation albeit a little niche market in terms of photography that are using film. And these new sort of 3D airport scanners, man, um, from all I've read, will kind of wipe out your film in a second. They're way stronger than uh, the, the, the scanners of old. They're probably very, very effective. But um, I thought we'd talk a little bit about this technology, and uh, but also about the idea of film, because... Um, I know uh, that that there is a real um, interest. Um, interestingly, uh, often amongst very kind of youthful and young photographers in mm-hmm. in using film. So let me ask you first: um, Did you shoot film ever? You're old enough, right? You're not. You're not that young. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, great topic to bring up again: the intersection between the past and the present, and how they. Um, live off each other. Um, I only actually started shooting film more recently, as you're saying. Like, I think there is this uh, resurgence of it. And um, my wife bought me a film camera as a present a couple of years ago. Well, actually, I was thinking of, I always wanted to buy a Leica a rangefinder, but I couldn't afford the digital version. So, but I, I could afford the the film version. So that's how I got back into it. Um, and at the time, I wasn't doing a lot of traveling, and it never really um, came to mind. But I know a lot of people do a lot of photography and a lot of traveling. And I've seen in um, in my groups locally here and on Instagram that maybe 30 40% of the photographers in our photography group here in Vancouver are shooting film. And there's big debates wow. about, you know, where can I find this kind of film and that kind of film. And, you know, because it's not even that easy to find the right kind of film anymore. Um, so no, you know, and then you know, people are doing much more traveling nowadays too. So it, it's much cheaper to travel all over the world and and take your camera with you. So it's great that you raised this this topic because I think people need to be aware. The last thing you want is to get your film wiped after a a great round the world trip. Absolutely. Well, when you look at these scanners, you kind of can't miss them. I mean, they look very kind of futuristic. 
and uh, obviously they're very effective in these are the kind of uh, scanners that go through our suitcases I believe but now they've been adapted uh, for sort of hand luggage and you know they're obviously very effective which is important for us but certainly um, you know for film photographers it's just one more major major worry but you know I you you caught my ear with the idea that you know 30 to 40 percent of your group is shooting film that's even higher than I thought but you also mentioned the idea that um, you know cost and and I remember back in the day when I was shooting film you know when I arrived here in New York and it wasn't that long ago in terms of uh, you know decades but but it seems like a million years ago in terms of the technology but I remember you know if I want to go out do some street shooting I could be counted on spending, you know, like a hundred bucks because I was always kind of an overshooter and the film and the processing and all that. Um, so that can be very expensive. Um, but having said that, you know, you can actually save money. So if you're interested in sort of medium format uh, uh, digital, um, you can buy an old Hasselblad or an old Mamiya and some 120 film and you have this incredible uh, um, pixel count if you will on those films and 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 I think the reminder is and I think we all should maybe uh, you know when we have an opportunity to go visit and see an exhibition of some of the masters and realize that you know photographers like Vivian Meyer for example using large format uh, film the quality of the imagery that they were making back in the 40s, 50s, 60s with those large format cameras was amazing. And uh, obviously digital technology and all its conveniences, if you want that kind of resolution, you know, it's, it's out of the grasp of, of a lot of photographers. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things kind of I, I forget is that, you know, the scanning quality and the cost of, of scanning too has really gone down and is readily available. So when young people talk about film they're also thinking about it differently yes they're, they're going to process the negatives but in many cases they're not even printing in many cases like they're getting you know the idea is that i'm still getting digital a digital result um you know because i see these photos on instagram all the time um but they're shooting on a film camera and who knows, you know, you mentioned the reason of cost but there's also the process and i think we also like for me once i got my kind of first film camera recently uh, i understood the distinction between you know the idea of film but also the idea of analog and i think they're different i think if you have a modern film camera and you have you know fully automated process autofocus or metering then your experience is very similar in a way to shooting digital even though you don't have the 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 LCD, although, you know, there's kind of digital cameras coming out now without LCD just to make you feel like it's film, you know, but put that aside for a second. <laughs> but you could still, it's not that hard. It's not a completely different shooting experience, but the result is, is, is different, you know, the quality and the, and the colors. Um, but in, in the case of me, I, I got the Leica M2, which I think is from, I think my model was from the 60s, but it's, um, it's got no meter and naturally it's got no autofocus. And so the idea of shooting without a meter, you know, and without autofocus too is a completely different shooting experience whether or not it's film. So there's a, I think there are different drivers for why people are getting back to it, right? Part of it is the, the quality and the result and the colors and the and the resolution. And another part of it is the shooting experience. It's like anti-digital analog 
um, trend that people want to get away from technology and social media and I was moving them towards film. Yeah, and you know, photography has always been sort of a accumulation of you know the physical, the 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 mental, the analytical, the creative, you know, all merged into one. And I do remember very distinctly, you know, the 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 physicality of taking a film roll, particularly thirty-five millimeter, and taking it out of the little canister, and then kind of putting it in the whatever that slot is and pulling the film and putting it in the slot and winding and wasting the first couple of images till you get to number one. That sort of, you know, premeditation, if you will, when you get out shooting um, was so familiar. And, uh, you know, again, I was in a world where speed was important, so I was often in a hurry to kind of, uh, uh, um, you know, load that, that film in there. And once loaded... Um, you know, the experience is very similar, but of course you don't get to see the result on the back of the camera. I mean, you can look hard, you can imagine it, but you don't see it. So the experience starts to diverge from digital right there because I think from the perspective of the photographer and the confidence level, I mean, you obviously had to have some experience to know kind of how things were going to work and hope that you you got the moment that you were looking for, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. you didn't have it right away. And I think by virtue of that, you ended up having to work it a little bit harder to a certain degree. In that you didn't really know if you got it, so you may have had to work it a little bit in a little bit more just to to be on the safe side. Um, but the experience of doing that, of shooting and then not looking, of course, you couldn't you couldn't look kind of kept you in the moment and I wonder if that's something uh, that film photographers experience um, in a way that is more beneficial to what they're able to achieve with their film cameras without the distraction of, of, of looking even though you know you may not look all that often but but it's there yes and we talked last uh, podcast about uh, you know the smartphone cameras and the, and the new iPhone and you know what what do the camera manufacturers have to distinguish from from the smartphone if we get to the point where the result is is exactly the same and it's the process right it's the experience and and i think we're going to see more and more manufacturers um, invest in in product features that help enable the experience like for example the fuji and the you know the fuji x pro 3 really mimics the film camera with the with the back display which okay it does eventually you can fold it out and you've got an lcd there but by design they're trying to recreate or re-enable that experience and it's the experience the process that gives you a lot of the joy if we can't compete on the result anymore with the with the iphones yeah i mean the thing for me that right from the beginning of my entry into photography when I was a kid, it was, you know, when you talk about joy, it was the joy of surprise. And, you know, as a film photographer, I think, you know, there's a certain expectation, but there's always that element of surprise when you really do nail an image better than you could have even imagined. And it still exists in the digital realm, but, you know, we, do, we usually don't wait and we don't have to wait very long um, for that. But to well, me, photography, to, the yeah. magic... Sorry, I'm saying, 
I need to wait for my Lightroom to load. That's and then a surprise when it eventually does. So. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And the other thing um, I recall from the film days was, and I've said this before, and that is often my best images when I made a contact sheet or looked through the roll were towards the end of the roll. And, and so often, you know, frame 35, 36. And I also remember the feeling of, oh, my God, I've hit the end of the roll look what's happening in front of me quickly I gotta quickly change films and it was it was never it was never too fast I mean it, it just took too long to either wind or the if you had a motor drive it would it would wind up the film and then put in the new one um, and I think that is just uh, a function of uh, the fact that the more you work a situation the more you start to feel comfortable the more the situation starts to know you're there and allow you into some images that you just couldn't get initially. Uh, now, of course, with, with digital and our, you know, large cards, I mean, we can shoot four seasons on our camera without necessarily having to hit the end of the roll, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are so many factors, aren't there, when you think about it. Uh, one of the things I loved about my uh, film photos was that you kind of get them straight out of the camera, right? And okay, so you can scan them and then do some editing. But I loved how they would be not perfectly cropped and they would just be more real and more dynamic. You know, I think we've spoken before and you speak a lot in, in your workshops around cropping. And if you try too hard to, you know, by the time something comes in digitally, it's made, it has to be edited, right? It's a raw file. Um, it's not meant to be seen like that. But when you pick something up from the the printers then you you know you that that's what you've got and and just as a as an amateur at least so i love how those photos are a bit more raw a bit more real and much more dynamic um than my digital photos which i spend so much time you know thinking and intellectualizing about should i crop here or there and what colors should i use and play around with them so much yeah i mean we have a mutual friend uh suichi hayashi in japan um and I know Suichi uh, um, you know, keeps a, a Nikon D700 at his house to sort of document his family. And it's, it's not so much because, you know, it's, it's an older camera. It, it, it's, uh, it's by artistic design. He likes the way the D700 sensor uh, captures uh, his family photos. And, you know, it's a perfect uh, mix between sort of megapixel and technology to give him the look that he's looking for. And I think film photographers sort of feel the same way. You want a certain film to kind of communicate what it is you want to say about a particular subject matter. It's a much more thoughtful process, I think, to go back to, to film. Although, you know, for certain kinds of photography, I can't imagine necessarily the learning curve is, is as efficient as it was, is with digital, particularly maybe in street photography where, you know, things are completely out of our control. And to be able to uh, develop your skill to the point where, you know, you're shooting less, you're not seeing what you're shooting, you're trusting your, your, um, your process. And I think, you know, for, for sort of younger people kind of, at the beginning of their journey in photography, um, in some ways it might just limit the accelerated uh, progress that they would have with digital. But I wonder if there's other ways where it might be more helpful, do you think, you know, in terms of that process? Interesting point. I think 
we can't make it a binary question, you know, an either or, either film or either digital. I think people who are passionate about photography should have all the options available to them and, you know, by nature would be interested in experimenting all the mediums and formats that they have. I think I really don't want, you know, this perspective, at least for me, to be about one is better than the other. Um, because there's some incredible photography that, you know, and, and, you know, parts of the world would never seen emotions that were captured, you know, stories that were told that were only really possible um, through digital. And it's an incredible talent in the digital space, too, in different fields of it. Um, what I've seen in our Instagram groups and online is that, you know, people are moving back to film from digital rights so yes we are seeing that potentially people are getting started and learning on digital and so that's great because that's bringing more people in develop mm -hmm. the skill set and then exploring and rediscovering film rather than it would work you know the other way around um, definitely but I de really if there's one point I wanted to make for everybody listening is um, it's about photography. This it, it, we always come back to this kind of discussion about gear and what kind of gear and technology and 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 all that. But really, it's about why are you doing it? You know, really connecting with yourself and reflecting upon why am I doing it, and then trying to be more conscious about the gear and the solutions that you choose in order to fulfill those goals. Whether it's a story you want to tell or um, in an aesthetic you want to achieve, like Suichi and so on yeah yeah i mean we'll save it for another time but the other part of the sort of film equation is in order to uh, see the results you have to process the film and i'm assuming that probably the majority of photographers using film particularly color are not doing their own processing but for someone who spent many the long hour in a unventilated uh, dark room with the smell of developer and stop bath and all that stuff, that whole chemical process and the magic <laughs> of it, and also the the sort of uh, you know the other parts that come with it. I mean, that's that's another kind of time-consuming element of film that maybe a lot of film photographers are avoiding, but some are are really into, and it's kind of like you know, the idea of, you know, going to the supermarket or going out into the forest to sort of hunt for your food, um, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll eat. It might be more satisfying uh, having, you know, gone through the whole process uh, from, from scratch. In the end, though, um, whether it's film or digital, uh, it's that two-dimensional image. Um, and we'll, we'll save the discussion of whether you see it on a screen or print it. Um, the communication is going to be a little bit different. But uh, it's exciting in terms of um, where we're at now because there's so many different options to uh, explore our creati creativity uh, through photography. Um, it's, it's pretty endless in terms of you know, subject matter, but also processes too. Absolutely. And I, I love doing it. And my only challenge is I hardly get the time anymore to do it, right, with work and with a young family. And I think that also plays into the film versus digital question. And I might, and I'd like to come back to the film, and I'd like to use my film camera more. But yeah. if I do have an hour every two weeks where I could shoot some, some photographs, then I'm going to grab my digital camera because I want to make the most out of the little time. 
yeah. that, I, that I have um, in, yeah. in this day and age. Yeah, this busy phase that I'm going through in my life right now. Yeah, I mean, to your point, I mean, the reality is that, look, um, everything, and we've, we've talked about this before, and that, you know, all our experiences can infuse into what we want to say and communicate photographically. So, you know, don't beat yourself up out there if you haven't been shooting as much as you like. I think you fall in a category of, you know, 90% of the people that are into photography, and that is they're, they're not shooting maybe as much as they like. But when they pick up a camera, whether it's film or digital, um, you know, it's not like you, you've got that physicality, the cobwebs to shake off. But once once out there, you know, your experiences will will also um, be reflected in what it is that you, you photograph and, and communicate. So it also brings us uh, to another topic uh, uh, that we wanted to talk about today, and that is... Um, sort of focal length uh, in terms of the choice that we make uh, as photographers to see the world through a particular focal length. And, and these days, of course, there are no limits, and zoom lenses are incredible, so we can have you know 150 focal lengths or more uh, within one lens on the camera. But uh, um, I talked to Steve before, and we decided that we would uh, just briefly touch on the idea of shooting with a particular focal length and if there's a particular favorite and and why so so steve let me ask you that um you know i know you have a lot of tools uh you know in your commercial business but for you as the passionate artist photographer um do you have a favorite focal length yeah as a as a street photographer and a passionate photographer um I started that journey with the 35mm lens on my Fuji X100T, and that was even before I bought uh, my Nikon. And I absolutely love that focal length. I love uh, getting um, involved in the scene because not only is it a question about focal length, but it's also a question about it being fixed, right? Um, not zoom. And so there's no excuse. You can't be disconnected. You can't be too far away. Um, and I like the the 35 because it means I didn't have to get too close but I got close enough and but more importantly I had to move around so I think for street photography and for storytelling the 35 millimeter captures more than just the subject you're looking at but not too much more it just their context their environment a bit of the foreground and a bit of what's happening around them and I I had bought that camera and that, you know started working with that focal length when I was living in London and it was a busy city and you don't want too much in the frame but all the story is in you know the immediate surroundings of the of the of the people whether it's a shopfront or a market or anywhere down the street and so you wouldn't want to be too close um, but you also have to be part of the scene and I love that. Uh, however, since I started shooting family photography. I've been using the 50 on the Nikon, and the 50 is, you know, a good portrait trans lens, but like good all-around lens to use in a family setting when things are moving quickly. And sometimes I found that the 35 was a bit disconnected from that, like real emotion that you you get from being uh, much closer and um, closer to the, you know, people's faces. So I I love use I actually love using the 50 on the Nikon and I don't have a 35 for the Nikon yet and I miss it and I've been looking into it because uh, I want to be able to use my Nikon also for family photography as much as I do for street photography and sometimes it's hard to separate the two because 
you know, when I've got my camera with me, whether it's for work or play, I want to use it in so many different ways. I think the 35 is versatile like that. Yeah, no question. I think for me, when I first got into photography, I probably had a 50 on the camera initially, but I quickly moved to the 35 millimeter, kind of on a full frame camera. And that focal length for me, uh, I think I was inspired by some images that I had seen when you're close enough to your, your subject. And, and I realized early on that proximity to your subject, physical proximity, can be communicated in a powerful way um, through photography. And, you know, that means that, you know, the wider the lens, the closer you are physically to the subject, that intimacy, whatever it is that's hard to articulate, is communicated. And I remember seeing some images, uh, not just, uh, you know, with my, the, the mentor, Eugene Richards, who I took a workshop, who works really close and wide, but other, other photographers, particularly with a 35 millimeter, when you keep it perpendicular, you, you generally will kind of minimize any distortion. And with people, um, it can be a very powerful um, uh, a viewpoint in that the viewer is suddenly you know, right up there, right in the middle of things. And when the expression or the scene is such that uh, it's, it's strong in terms of content, uh, your image is going to be stronger than arguably with a telephoto lens that, that you know, kind of flattens uh, the perspective. So, you know, more of, more, the wider the lens, the more of a story you can tell. At the same time, um, because you're including more in your frame, it's, it's actually harder to work with and be successful because there's a lot of distraction there. So I think, you know, I often say that, you know, wide angle, uh, wide open is, is a good starting point because whatever you focus on, it will minimize dis, uh, the depth of field, which, of course, you have more depth of field at all apertures, but it'll minimize it so it will keep your viewer's eye on what you felt was most important to focus on. Um, so, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at, I, I choose 35. There's some photographers I know that you work with a 28, and that's really close. I would like to experiment with it, and I think for a lot of us out there, the idea of taking one lens, so if you have a zoom, just you know, as an exercise, leave it at one focal length and, and just move around and see what that does. I think that can be very powerful in terms of a learning experience as well. I mean, you like the 50. I never liked the 50. I, I just couldn't like the 50. But for whatever reason, the, the 58 really clicked with me. Um, and that additional 8 millimeters, whatever it is, I mean, maybe it's just a, a placebo, but it, it <laughs> seems to make a difference for me. And to the point where, you know, because I'm not doing a lot of commercial photography and I'm, I'm focusing on my artistic expression, I got rid of my 85, which I know will give, uh, you know, the customer or the person in that 85 millimeter photo potentially a more pleasing image. But again, being physically close with a 58 or a 35 to me is uh, uh, a big plus in, in what I'm able to, to get for, for my own uh, liking. Yes, I think being close is really key with street photography and with the experience. And a lot of uh, newcomers are um, maybe using either the zoom or the wide lens like, um, and not getting close enough. And I think the zoom, is a real, zoom lens is a real excuse to, to not uh, exit the comfort zone. Um, you know, so maybe starting with a wider lens is a good incentive to move closer. Um, 
you know, because you have to recognize that in street photography, if you're using a wide lens, and you need to be getting close. And a big part of that is the physical, the, the comfort zone of, you know, getting closer to people um, that we all had to overcome. But once you try it a few times, you, you know what a great experience it is to be close to people. Imagine that. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I've seen, uh, even here uh, in our group here, I've seen... Uh, 80, the 85 being used in street photography in a really interesting way um, for detail and um, uh, even like you know portraits. Um, but but I agree. I think somewhere between the 35 and the 50 is a place you need to be for street photography, unless you know how to use that zoom lens. You know, so for example, one of the kind of most well-known people, a photographer who uses a zoom lens still is Martin Parr, and I think it might be the 70 to 300, you know, but his his photos, are, like, he's very connected with his subjects, but he uses the zoom lens, but he knows, you know, he's conscious of how to use that properly, and I think that that can give you then more options when you're in a fast-changing environment, but you need to be conscious of um, the risks and, uh, and need to be using it properly. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned Martin Parr. I mean, I think the bottom line is when you look at an image, you see the image and you're, you're moved or, or whatever the image effect has. If it's strong, it will affect you. And you don't see the technique. You don't see the focal length. You see the image. So, you know, I, I didn't know, for example, that Martin Parr, uh, knowing his work, uh, you know, used the zoom lens all that much. I didn't really care. I, I do love his work. And that's the bottom line. So, in a way, you have to kind of choose the focal length that... Um, allows uh, the the technical to disappear, if you will, and the scene kind of does all the heavy lifting in terms of communication. So, you know, even though we've said, you know, that uh, um, proximity is important, of course it is, uh, sometimes uh, after giving it the college try with a 35, but you just can't get close enough, uh, having a 50 allows you to stay back a little bit and still frame the scene in the way that you want, or maybe even uh, an 85 or whatever the focal length is, 58. Um, ultimately, it's your images that uh, communicate. So that's what you want to, you know, that's why you choose these very, these focal lengths, and everyone's going to use them uh, a little bit differently when it comes to that. But, uh, yeah, the yeah. zoom thing is uh, a little bit, uh, you know, to be beware, beware of. You, you want to sort of experiment. And one last thing, I, I you know, the 85 you mentioned, uh, I had an assignment once with, with Nikon to shoot with the 85-millimeter lens and make sample images. So, of course, I want to do a very good job. So I, I took just the 85. I had a mission. I had to make strong images with the 85. That's not my normal MO. That's not generally how I work. But the experience was great. It forced me to kind of move back and see what the 85-millimeter focal length will do. And I had to make images that I felt were... Uh, me and that that uh, satisfied a certain kind of level that I was hoping to to uh, capture, and it was a really great experience. And I think that um, you know, again, you've mentioned the comfort zone thing, and we always talk about that. Um, you get a little bit beyond because we we have a certain experience, we know what we do, but unless we try something different, we're going to get the same kind of thing. So. As an experience of, uh, you know, using that 85, um, I learned how to use it. And as a tool 
for a certain situation, if it's in my bag or available within the Zoom range that I have, um, I, might, I might pull it out, but I, I don't do it without having that experience, knowing that this will be the best way to go. Yes, I think that's the key, like being able to make this as a preemptive decision rather than because it's an excuse for something. Uh, so to get yeah, there... So you're saying making a picture bigger doesn't make it better? Or some of those other myths that we have yeah. in photography? Um, I'm saying, yeah, try <laughs> try the big and the small and everything in between and then decide what you're going to want to do. Um, in a lot of cases when I come across you know, zoom lenses and street photography or, or one thing or another, it almost sounds like, hey, you're not being honest with yourself because you just don't want to get close or you're just too comfortable shooting these kind of pictures. And uh, we talked uh, earlier in the podcast about the experience and the joy and the surprise and all of that comes from pushing out of the comfort zone, right, when you're in yeah. the field. And yeah. um, sometimes it just requires trying a different lens for the day and you don't have to buy all these lenses so you know you can rent a lens for for a day especially a good lens because they're pretty pricey um when if you if you still don't know what it's like and whether or not you'll you'll like it so kind of make a, a commitment to rent a few more lenses and try different things out because you might be surprised yeah yeah, and, and you know, it's it's also consistency. I mean, in the end, um, you want your vision to come through and to simplify your process by using kind of one lens most of the time. That's an easier way to kind of be consistent in terms of what you're you're getting and you just make it stronger, but the consistency's there with that one focal length. But when you look at a Martin Parr who might be using anything from 24 to 300, for example, um, there's a consistency in his vision. And, you know, he's just gone through that journey where he's become this master photographer. And he can, he can, he can put his Martin, you know, Martin Parr template over, uh, over the world that he photographs. And it doesn't matter if it was 300 or 35. You recognize it right away for his vision. And I think that's what we're all kind of hoping to to get so yep. let's uh, maybe wrap it up there I was gonna I had I didn't know if you had any uh, tips or nuggets the one tibet tip that I was going to sort of put forward and that is um, when traveling because it you know brought it got me thinking about traveling and x-ray and film and back in the days when you had a hundred rolls of film that you were trying to not get uh, get uh, x-rayed and you're convincing the TSA or whatever they were called back in the film days that it was over 800 ISO so that they don't have to put it through the machine. Um, traveling, one thing that I recommend if you're able to afford it and maybe you can't not afford to and that is to have extra memory cards so that when I'm traveling I will um, expose my cards of course and then I'll download them and back them up. But rather than reformat that card, I have an exposed card wallet when I travel so that my entire shoot will remain with me just in case something bad happens uh, back at the hotel or the pension or the tent where my hard drives go missing or they fail and it's nice to have kind of a backup. So I think um, that's generally a good idea and a good investment because if your equipment's insured when you travel, you can always replace them. The one thing, of course, we can't replace, and that is uh, the images that we 
we took. Absolutely, great tip, and I do that for my commercial work too. I do not erase the disk until um, the card until I've delivered the photos. Um, the prices have gone down significantly, right, for for memory cards. So, and they could take so much more capacity. And I guess on on that note too, like uh, I d I don't like to use cards that are too big or even hard disks that are too big because you're putting too many eggs in one basket. Um, so it's good to have um, multiple redundancies. So my kind of nugget, I want to go back to the idea of renting gear. And I think there's one thing I would recommend this weekend is rent a, rent a different lens. Um, you know, some lenses cost thousands of dollars, but you could rent them for 20 or $30 for the weekend. Um, check out uh, the, the kind of lens or focal length that you haven't been using much and might be outside your comfort zones and no need to go out and, and buy anything but try and use different kinds of equipment. You can also rent bodies, you could rent all sorts of equipment so if there's something that you know is almost the opposite of what you're doing or in an area that you're not so comfortable with then uh, try it out and there are many many companies online and in real life who will rent you equipment very easily. So we definitely a part of improving the overall experience um, to to try something uh, something different yeah that's that's great advice and speaking of 58 millimeters my favorite focal length I think I'll probably rent that new Nikon 58.95 lens that's all manual focus that cost eight thousand dollars so I might be able to afford the rental but uh, still not sure I'll save for that but in the meantime Steve um, where can uh, people sort of see your work and uh, find out a little bit more about you thank you Steve uh, great talking to you as always please come and say hi on Instagram primarily at Sattard photo s-a-t-t-a-r-d photo or at my website, steveattard.com. Say hi anytime. I love engaging with other photographers on social media. Well, fantastic. And, of course, uh, you can find me. Uh, you're a passionate photographer. So am I. I'm at thepassionatephotographer.com. Uh, you can see my portfolio there, the blog is there, and my workshops, of which uh, a few upcoming ones I'm looking forward to. Uh, is Tokyo, Japan with my partner Suichi Hayashi and I know Steve uh, is jealous because he's been there before on that workshop and mm -hmm. it's amazing and uh, Cuba in December we're gonna go hopefully it'll be cold here it'll be warm and beautiful there so that's it for now uh, in the meantime uh, I hope that uh, you guys go out there with your one focal length your favorite focal length and and great shooting everyone until next time